Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Joe Faldet. Today's sermon is in Psalm, Psalm 73. We're going to be titling it, See Bigger. And it's a call to look at the greater landscape as to what's going on around us. So we pray that God would bless you through it. So today's sermon is going to be on Psalm 73. And I read in Jesus' name, Truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this psalm, for the psalm of Asaph. Pray that you would bless it to us. Lord, bless us as we come to understand how to view the things in this world. Lord, how to view righteousness and wickedness. Lord, guide us in the fear of you and in the love of you. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you might notice that today we're actually on the book of Psalms instead of on the book of Luke. And the reason for that is because we're going to start, since we've been meeting inside, uh, we're going to start recording our live sermons. And then what will go on YouTube will be the sermon from the week before. And so everything on YouTube, everything on uh, the podcast, all of that stuff will be a week behind what happens here in church. Uh, those will go on a little bit earlier, but still if people want to use them for uh, you know, online worship, that'll be the purpose for that. How exactly the worship service will go with all that, I don't know that yet. We'll see how it all sounds. Um, but the plan is then 
that what goes out onto the internet will be a week behind what goes on here in church. So in order to make that happen, I had to record a sermon just to put online. And so that's what this is, Psalm 73. And as I was reading through the Psalms, because I like reading through the Psalms, I usually read four or five Psalms a day, uh, depending on the day. And so the Psalm for, well, it was yesterday when I wrote this sermon, was 73. One of the Psalms was 73. And as I was reading that, it just impacted me as to how much this actually speaks to what's going on in our culture and how much this speaks to the way that we're approaching what's happening in our culture. And so we start out, and the, this is a psalm of Asaph, and we start out with really the, the psalmist being, or being tempted to be deceived, to, to doubt, to wonder, to worry. Is this true? Is this true? So he starts out and he says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so this is the premise. This is the premise that the psalmist is starting out with. God is good to those who are pure in heart. And we think about that too. We think about the fact that God is good to those who trust him, to those who rely on him, to those who repent of their sins, to those who confess, to those who seek him. God is good to those people. But what does that mean? What does it mean that God is good to us? Does that mean that everything goes well in our lives? Does that mean that we prosper more than the wicked prosper? Does that mean that we have peace in the things of this world? And, you know, people ask the question so often, why do these hardships come? I'm a good person or I'm at least a decent person or I'm at least not as bad as some others. Why am I struggling with this? Why are we going through this? You know, that question so often comes. What's going on? If God is good to those who trust him, to those who are pure in heart, to those who call upon him and repent of their sins, then why am I struggling so much? We start out with that same question and we are tempted by those same doubts. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so then we doubt because we start with this premise, God is good. And God is good to those who love him. Why are we experiencing hardship? Because you know the reality is in this world we will experience hardship. Paul tells us that. Jesus tells us that. You know, Peter talks about that. The, or the prophets talk about that. In this world, we will experience hardship. We will experience difficulty. We will experience struggle. And so we have this promise from God, this premise that we start out with. God is good to those who love him. God is good to those who are pure in heart. And then we experience something completely different. We look at the wicked. We look at the arrogant. We look at those who don't seek the Lord. And we see their lives going well. That's what we see. That's what we observe. We see their lives going well. And so what God has promised and what we observe don't line up. And so that's opportunity for doubt. Satan sneaks in there and he starts telling us lies. You can't trust God. You can't rely on God. God doesn't fulfill his promises. God actually isn't good to those who love him. Fortune favors the bold. God helps those who help themselves. 
you know, those lies start to kind of creep in. Well, fortune favors the bold isn't necessarily a lie. It's just not necessarily a truth either. But those lies start to creep in and those doubts start to come as we experience that disconnect between the, the premise of what God has given us, the promise of God, and then our own observed reality. So what the psalmist is saying here is, I started looking at the external. I started looking at the outside. And we do this nowadays. We look at the Facebook picture, you know, that highlight reel of people's lives, and we're like, why? Why, aren't my, why isn't my life like that? Why aren't my vacations like that? Why aren't my kids that well-behaved? You know, why, why, why? And we start asking these questions, why? And we're looking at the outside. We're looking at the external. And we're not really asking the right questions. But this is human nature. This is my nature. This is your nature. To look at the outside. To simply look at the act. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Now they had a very different view of fatness back in this day and age. And actually this is more of like, a third world view of fatness because at this point this would have been considered a third world country. You know, even though it was some of the height of civilization, nevertheless, there's some people starving. And so if you were rich enough to be fat, that was something. You know, and so the psalmist is saying these people, they're fat and sleek. They're, they are rich. They are prosperous. They have abundance. They have so much abundance. It's beyond what I have and beyond what I can contemplate. And so why are the wicked being blessed? Why do the wicked have so much? They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They're cruel. They're unkind. This is what I'm observing. This is what I'm seeing. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore his people, God's people, turn back to them and find no fault in them. So God's people are seeing this, and then they're following these numbskulls too. They're following these wicked people. God, what's going on? Because we're looking at the external. We're looking at their lives. We're saying this isn't making sense. Why are the wicked? Why are the ungodly? Why are the uncouth? Why are those who are blaspheming against you? Why aren't they destroyed? Why aren't they shut down? Why aren't they impoverished? Why do they still have power? Why do they still speak? Why do they still blaspheme? You haven't done anything about it, God. You haven't done anything about it. I'm not seeing this. You haven't done anything about it. What's going on? Why? Why? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And then the psalmist says, all in vain, I have kept my heart clean. God, I've been walking in your ways and I haven't been blessed from it. God, I've been walking in your ways and I don't have what they have. I don't have the money they have. I don't have the food they have. If I'm going to speak like them, I would have betrayed your children. And so I don't, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling because I'm seeing the wicked in power, not the righteous. God, what's going on? What's going on? But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And so this is our second point. Understanding. What's going on here, God? Asking that question, what's going on? Because to try to understand it from a human perspective, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's beyond us. 
beyond us as humans, if we're looking at this from an external, from a materialistic, from a worldly point of view, we won't get it because we won't understand who God is and what God is doing. And so it would just wear us out. This is what Solomon was doing all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, striving to answer this question, what's valuable, what's worthy? And so also Asaph here, Psalm of Asaph, saying this is just wearing me out. I can't do it. It's too much. It's too big. Why are the wicked blessed? And I'm not. What's going on? To try to understand the way the world works from a materialistic, from a human-centered point of view. Can't do it. Can't do it. And so when we evaluate our world, we have options. But what we have to do is we have to then look at it from God's point of view. So this is what he does. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. Then I understood. Once I looked at it through the lens of God, then I could discern it. Then I could see the pattern. Then I could see what was going on. Then I could see the big picture. Because our problem when we look from a human point of view is we look too short. We look too small. We don't see the big picture. We don't see the grander scheme. But God can show us the grander scheme. God can open our eyes. God is powerful for that. And so that's why we read our Bibles. That's why we pursue the truths of Scripture. Because as we're pursuing the truth of Scripture, our eyes are open to see the great vistas of the world around us instead of looking in our little silos, looking through our blinders, just seeing what we want to see. As we read the Word of God, we start to see all of what God has revealed to us. And we can see so much more. Those blinders get, re- get removed. You know how many times in Scripture are the scales taken off of their eyes? You know, you see Adam and Eve. Their eyes were opened to themselves. And then you see Paul and his eyes were opened to God. Satan blinds us to the things of God. So that's why we need the Word of God to open our eyes to the things of God so that we might have discernment to see the big picture, to see what's really going on in this world. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. That's the big picture. That's the big picture. They are not safe. They're in danger. They are in peril at all points, at all times. Because they're relying on the things of this world for their satisfaction, for their security. They're relying on things that are transitory. They are resting on things with wheels. They'll just roll away from them. They won't know. And they'll fall. And so when we're relying on the things of this world for our security, for our peace, for our comfort, those things can be just taken away from us at a moment. And we've seen this with COVID. People relying on their money and that money goes, poof. People relying on their job and their job stops. People relying on their family and their family can't come to visit. We see all of these things going on in our world. That's what we see. 
We see all of these securities that people have been trusting in being taken away. People's trust in the government. People's trust in the American monetary system. People's trust in our media establishment. People's trust in all of these things. People's trust in family. People's trust in local government and federal government and state government. People's trust in the, in the SCOTUS and in Congress. People's trust in all of these things. We're seeing them drop. We're seeing them drop. Because they're not reliable. But God is. All of these wicked people, what are they trusting in? They're trusting in the things of this world. That's where their mistake is. Because then they're trusting in things that are transitory and things that are not trustworthy. They're not worthy of our trust. They're like that reed as a staff that breaks it and stabs the person in the hand. That's what trust in the things of this world is. And so then the psalmist is humbled. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. So then the psalmist learns humility through this. Realizes he was looking in the wrong spot. He was acting like an animal. He was acting like a, a mere animal. I was brutish and ignorant towards you. I was, I was like a fool, like an idiot, like someone who doesn't have full mental capacity. I was missing it because I was looking in the wrong spot. And so then God convicts him and he confesses, you know, I was wrong. And so also we're called to do that too. When we find that we've been relying on the things of this world or looking at the things of this world for confirmation of our walk with God, for confirmation of our acceptance towards God, for confirmation of the love of God, when we're looking at the things of this world, we've got our eyes in the wrong spots. And we've got to confess that because we're acting brutish and ignorant like the rest of the world. I can't look at how much money I have. I can't look at my health to find if, I, if God loves me or not. I can't, I can't look at the things of this world my success, my, my security. I can't look at the things of this world as evidence of God's love for me. Really, God's love for me and God's love for you was evidenced at the cross. Like, that's how we know. That's how we know an objective reality where God demonstrated for all of humanity, this is how much I love you. So you say, well, how can God love me? You're right. How can God love you? God has loved you at the cross. You're not deserving of it. I'm not deserving of it. But God still has done it. And he continues to affirm that through his word, through the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. But when we doubt, we look to the cross. To Jesus' death and resurrection, he who has went before us. Because at that, in that, in the incarnation, in the crucifixion, in the resurrection, God has demonstrated his love for all of humanity for all time. And so we have something absolute and something objective to look at. Say, I am loved. Because God has provided a way. 
God has forgiven my sins. God has promised me eternity. This is God's love. So we humble ourselves and say, Father, forgive me for looking at the things of this world, for trusting in the things of this world, for trusting in, in the stability of the things of this world. That's not, that's not how you show your love. <clears throat> you have shown your love. And as you continue to forgive me, you continue to show me your love. So then the psalmist confesses his faith in God. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. See, this isn't initiated by the psalmist. God's presence isn't with us because of us, but because of the love of God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's the promise of God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's the promise of God. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise of God. They come from God. You are with me. You hold my hand. You walk me through. Well, I'm not feeling it. Your emotions are not the dictators of truth. My emotions are not dictators of truth. God is with me because God has promised. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. These are the promises of God. Whatever my emotions say, they don't speak for the truth as opposed to the promise of God. When my emotions go up against the promise of God, they are called to submit. I'm going to hold fast to the promise of God. Oh God, but things are chaotic. Things are dangerous. Yes, God says, but I am with you. I hold your right hand. God, I'm not feeling it. But God's still there. Just because I'm not feeling it doesn't mean that God has failed. That means my feelings are not trustworthy. I cannot rely on them. I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. That's the promise. God is walking with us. That's the promise. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart my portion forever. What are you seeking? What are you pursuing? What are you living your life for? <clears throat> Is it for reputation? Is it for earthly glory? Is it for money? Is it for fame? Is it for power? Is it for ease? What are you living your life for? The psalmist is saying, there is nothing that is more worthy than God. There's nothing in heaven that's more worthy than God. Nothing in heaven. There's no other God up there that I can look to, that I can trust in, that I can hope in. There's no other God above God. And so I'm going to look to God. I'm going to look to the Lord. I'm going to look to Jesus to guide me, to be with me. He is my portion and my cup. To quote from Psalm 23. It's Jesus. My flesh is going to fail me. But Jesus never will. The things of this earth, they're going to, they're going to rot away. But Jesus is stable. 
I can build off of him. I can look to him. I can pursue him as my center in all things. In all things. Above all things. Not necessarily to the exclusion of all things. Because I work my house. I keep my house in, in honor of God. I work in the church in honor of God. I bless my family in honor of God. That they might know this God that I know. That they might know him who is worthy above all other things. That's what this is saying to us. God is the most worthy pursuit. And so everything else is to be brought in line below the Lord. For behold, see, look. That's what that means. See, look. For behold, those who are afar from you shall perish. Let me read that again. Those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Brothers, sisters, you who are listening to this today, this is God. This is why we fear. Those who are unfaithful to God, those who walk away from the Lord, those who harden their hearts against the God who is, the only God who is, who live for these earthly pursuits. God says they will perish. That's terrifying. So if you find in your life that you've been living for earthly pursuits, that you've been living for earthly security, for earthly safety, for earthly ease, for earthly glory, for earthly money, fame, you've been living for these earthly things, repent, come back to God, repent, ask Him to forgive you, seek the Lord. Because then the psalmist ends with this. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may dwell, that I may tell of all your works. So that then paralyzes, paralyzes, parallels verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. What does that mean? But for me, it is good to be near God. What is the good then? Is the good to be fat and sleek? No. Is the good to be, to have no pangs until death? No, that's not good. The good that the psalmist has realized now is the presence of God. To those who seek the Lord, God is with them. And that is worth more than everything in this world. God's promise that he will be with them is more worthy than all the fame and all the glory and all the ease that this world can offer. God is with me. That is the promise of God. So then I don't have to fear any of these things, nor do I have to pursue any of these things for their own sake. 
Now I walk with the Lord that I might tell the world all of his works. I might tell the world what is really good. That's the presence of God. So as you seek the Lord, hold fast to his promise. As you feel fear, hold fast to his promise. As you feel envy, hold fast to his promise. As you feel doubt, hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to the truth. The things of this world will pass away. But the presence of God, not the feeling of the presence of God, but the truth of the presence of God. Feelings come and go. They wax and they wane. But the truth of the presence of God. God is with those who seek him. That you can take to the bank and you can walk in that confidence in all of your life. Any problem, any fear, any, any discouragement, any of these things, we can bring to God and ask him, God, change me, bless me. Bring victory, ultimately, that I may dwell with you forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you. We thank you that you are with those who seek you. Lord, we thank you that you are good to those who are pure in heart. Lord, that you are with us who love you. God, thank you. I pray for those who don't know your presence or who rely on the things of this world, pray that you would bring humility and repentance. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.